Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsnetwork.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, and 1039 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. And we're trying to get everything adjusted here. <laughs> Honesty and broadcast. Yes, we oh there we go. Now we've go. got can you hear uh, yourself? Oh now I've got everything Good. properly adjusted over here on this side of the console. Well, it's been <laughs> another big, big week in technology, of course. Uh, Tesla has some problems with their autopilot. Really? Uh, yeah, it's uh, you know it's a little bit concerning. There are some there, there are quite a few uh, videos out on how it fails, and um, we're going to talk about the ten most common subject lines on phishing emails. These are emails that try to trick you into giving up your information, and that's always a big problem. Yeah. And I've got a couple of things from ten years ago on the show. Ten years ago. From ten years ago, a couple of uh, items from ten years ago uh, that we'll talk about. One was a self-adjusting glasses that you just buy I the remember. glasses, and then and then the user can just adjust the uh, the magnification of themselves. And then, why do we have fingerprints? Why are they different? And so we'll talk. Those are those are two topics from ten years ago. And this this week we're going to feature the man who is called the unluckiest man in technology. He's he was one of the original co-founders of Apple. He owned ten percent of it, but he got cold feet, so he sold his ten percent for twenty three hundred dollars. Jeez. <laughs> uh, yeah. And now he's living in a trailer in Pahrump, Nevada. Nevada, which is near Area Fifty One. <laughs> That's yes. <laughs> And, of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Oh, he showed up today. Oh, yeah. We got an email from Dave in Elkridge. Hello, Doc and Jim. I'd like to set our Android and iPhone so that they only connect to the home Wi-Fi and never to a public Wi-Fi. Whether I'm in a restaurant or an airport or whatever, we've got 10 gigabytes of uh, of uh, data per month on the family plan. We never use it. So I just want to stay on cellular all the time because I don't trust the security of these public Wi-Fi networks. But I, I don't want to turn off Wi-Fi because when I come home, I want it to automatically connect to Wi-Fi. So how can I do it so that I don't get this pop-up screen that wants me to connect to public Wi-Fi? And I, don't want, I certainly don't want to connect automatically to anything. Okay, this is what you need to do, Dave. You need to forget all the networks that you don't want to connect to. So if you connected to them in the past, uh, it will remember them. They'll automatically connect again. So what you want to do is go to all the networks that are on your phone, and you can click on that. You'll, you'll see a list of those networks that, that your phone remembers, and just click forget this network, and it will just forget the password. Then what you want to do, you want to set it up so that your phone will not automatically join networks, you know, give you a, a ask you whether they want to join a new network when it detects it. 
So you want to turn off the Ask to Join Networks. And you just go to settings and then go to Wi-Fi and you can, you can turn that off on either an Android phone or an, or, an, or an iPhone. Now, if you have Sprint as a carrier, you also have to turn off the Sprint Connection Optimizer because it will automatically connect. So if you turn off all of these things, the, the Ask to Join Networks plus you forget all the other networks, you won't ever be bothered again and you won't connect to it. I've done that too and it works like a charm. Excellent. We got an email from Alan in Kansas. Dear Doc and Jim. I've heard many people talk about tracing the route of packets on the Internet to see how many hops there are to get to a particular destination. How's this accomplished? Love the show, Alan in Kansas. Well, Alan, it's done with something called TraceRoot. Now, TraceRoot is a computer network diagnostic tool for displaying the route or the path, uh, and it, it measures the packet delay as it goes through the network. So what, what happens is the history of the route is recorded as a round-trip time as the packet is, as, as the packet goes to each successive host. So it will go to the first host, and it will ping it, and it will ask that host to send back a message to the originating IP address saying this is the name of the host, and this is when the packet arrived. Then when the packet gets to the next host, it will ask for a ping and it will get and, and it will send back uh, a message with the name of the host and then the time that the ping was sent. And you'll then see each successive host as you're hopping through the network send back a ping signal which will tell them the, the, the name of the server and the and the time that it was sent back. And that way you can get a you can get a path. So it's uh, it's very fun to do. I, I do this a lot. Now, tra the traceroot command is available on a, on a number of modern operating systems. On the, on the Apple Mac OS, it's available by opening Network Utilities and selecting Trace Route tab, as well as by typing Trace Route command into the terminal. On a Unix system, such as FreeBSD or Linux, it's available as Trace Route command in the terminal. In Microsoft Windows, it's called Trace RT. Trace RT, which would be Tracert, T-A-R-C-E-R-T. -E All you need to do is open up the command window and type Tracert, and then the and then the name of the um, then the, the the name of the website that you want to trace track down, and it will just give you. All of the hops as it goes through the network. We got an email from Alan in Kansas. Dear Doc and Jim, I've heard many people talk about. Uh, oh no, that's this. <laughs> that is the same one. Okay. What did you do here? I don't know what happened here, but I had the same email twice. It well, it was a really good it question. It must have been an early, early morning activity. What glass of wine were you on? Yeah, that was on my third glass on that go. one. That yeah, we got an email from Lynn in Ohio. Dear Doc and Jim, I recently bought a new TV with HDMI inputs. The salesman told me I had to buy these expensive cables that support HDMI 2.0. Now, do I really need to buy a new set of cables, or won't my old cables work? Love the podcast. Uh, Lynn in Ohio. Well, Lynn, there are four. There are um, several. There are only two cable de designations that are legitimate and recognized by the HDMI organization. One is called high speed, and one is called standard speed. That's it. There's no HDMI two specification for cables. The standard speed can handle bandwidth up to, for the for HD up to 1080i. You know that's the up to, that's up to 1080i. That that would be an HD signal, 
And high-speed cables can handle up to a 4K bandwidth on, for a 4K TV. So uh, if, you've, if you, you probably have a 4K TV, it says you've got a new TV. So you, you do want to get the high-speed cables. Now, there's a pretty good chance that your old cables will work just fine with 4K, even if they're standard speed. So what I would do, because since HDMI is a digital standard, it either works or it doesn't work. So what I would do, I'd take your old cables, plug them in, see how they work. And if they work, boom, you've got it. Now, if you purchased your cables before 2009, they may not support the bandwidth. But if you bought them since 2009, I'm pretty certain that they're going to work for you. Now, by the way, the only specs out there relate to the hardware uh, that is being connected. The, you, the receiver and the other gear have to support the standard. So like HDMI 1.4, that, that came out in 2009. That supports 4K video, HDMI Ethernet. It, 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 it supports audio return channel, which will connect to the uh, speakers, ARC, as well as 3D over HDMI. Now, the reason that cables made after 2009 will probably work for you is because the 2009 standard, HDMI 1.4, supported 4K video. Then they came out with HDMI 2.0 in 2013. That supports 2K at 60 frames per second. And they came out with HDMI 2.0A in 2015, and that supports high dynamic range video. So the only specs are on the hardware, not on the cable. So just get a high-speed cable, and you'll be just fine. We got an email from Barbie in Reston. Dear Tech Talk, I've got a MacBook Pro, and I love this computer, but I'm required to run some software for my work that only supports Windows. What are my options? Love the show, Barbie in Reston. Well, your best option is to use a virtual machine to run the Windows application on a Mac without rebooting. Now, for maximum performance, particularly for gaming, you should use a dual boot system, but it sounds to me like you got business software applications, and you don't need super bandwidth, so I'd say the virtual machine is your best bet. Now, the virtual machine allows you to install Windows or any other operating system in a window on your Mac laptop. The Windows program thinks it's running on a real computer, but actually it's running inside of a piece of software on your Mac that's been configured to look like the hardware. It's called a virtual machine. Now, you need a Windows license to install Windows on the virtual machine, if you already got a product key, you can just download the Windows. You can install it for free and then put in the uh, put in the product key. Now, two popular virtual machine programs for the Mac are Parallels and VM Fusion. Each of these are paid programs, so you'll have to buy both the Windows license and the copy of the virtual machine license. Now, if you want a completely open source virtual machine, you can get VirtualBox for Mac, but its 3D graphics support and Mac operating system integration are not as good. So I'd recommend you spring for the, um, for the paid versions, either Parallels or VMware. Now, you can try out both of these, Parallels or VMware, as a free trial to see how you like it before you buy it. Now, installing Windows as a real operating system for your Mac is a good idea if you want to play games. So when you install Windows on your Mac, you'll be able to use either you'll be able to use Windows application. It'll run right on the Mac. Now the good thing is the new Macs will actually support Windows directly. But if you want to actually have both the Windows operating system available as well as the Mac operating system available, you need to have a dual boot system. So you want to use Apple's Boot Camp, 
And what you do is only one operating system can run at a time. So whenever you start up, boot camp will take over and it will say, do you want to load the Mac operating system or the Windows operating system? And then you pick the one that you want. The nice thing is you're running, you know, Windows natively, so you've got great speed for gaming. But I don't think you need that complexity because you're not running games. We got an email from Carol in Manassas. Dear Doc and Jim, what is the Mirai botnet? And how can I protect my devices? Carol in Manassas. Well, the Mirai botnet was first discovered in 2016 when it took over when it actually uh, infected over 500,000 Internet of Thing devices, that would be like, you know, routers or webcams, anything connected to the Internet. Uh, and they used that to create a huge uh, distributed denial of service attack around the Internet. And they just brought down huge websites with their distributed denial of service attacks where they had all these botnets focused on one website and they just overwhelmed it. By 2019, Mirai has been tweaked and updated to handle additional target hardware. In particular, they're targeting enterprise links because they want to have access to higher bandwidth, and that gives them more firepower for their distributed denial of service botnet attacks. This variant of Mirai continues to attack consumer routers, though, as well as cameras and other connected devices. Now, the creators of Mirai botnet software actually were arrested. They pleaded guilty. They were given probation. And for a time, Mirai was shut down. But it turns out other people got the code, tweaked it, and released it again. So now it's active again. It uses known exploits uh, that, uh, like, it, it uses, say, um, default credentials to log on, you know, that are, that are just assigned by the manufacturer. And a lot of people don't change those things. They also... It also takes advantage of some bugs in these in the software. So you always want to A, update the firmware on your on your device and update uh, any software on your device. And you just need to go to the manufacturer to get that done. And you want to change your administrative credentials, that's username and password, as soon as possible. And do not use the um, the the, the password, the, the username and password that was assigned by the manufacturer, because Mirai knows that. And if your manufacturer stopped releasing new firmware updates, or if the administrative credentials are hard-coded into the hardware, you probably should consider replacing the device. There are a number of, of poorly constructed devices out of China that are that way. So... That's all you have to do to avoid Mirai because you don't want to help. You don't want to participate as as a member of one of these big distributed denial of service botnet attack. We got an email from John <laughs> in Fairfax. Dear Doc and Jim, why are cables so expensive? Can I just buy a cheap cable and instead of getting the expensive one that the stores are Bad pushing idea. and still survive? Love the podcast, John in Fairfax. Well, John, stores are always pushing expensive cables because guess what? They make more money on them. <laughs> and they figure you're going to buy it anyway because, well, you need the cable. You don't have a lot of time, and, you're, and they're going to recommend it. Now, the truth is that in the old days when we were running analog audio and analog video, cable quality did make a difference. So these fancy gold-plated connectors and fancy shielding – actually did produce a better picture because you have to have a certain degree of signal-to-noise in an analog picture to get high quality. 
On the other hand, when we went to digital communication, and that would be with HDMI, USB, and others, other protocols, digital communication either works or not. And it turns out digital communication is very good at just uh, getting rid of any kind of distortion, any kind of um, you know noise that comes into the cable. So actually, with the digital communication protocol, you can actually use a crummy cable, and and it's and it's and if it works, you've got no degradation in quality at all. It either works or doesn't work. So in fact, the cheap cable will work pretty much as well as uh, these super expensive ones. So you don't need to waste your money. But you know, if you want to save more money, frequently you can get refurbished electronics, refurbished iPhones. They're not bad. They're refurbished by the manufacturer. They come with a guarantee. You save money there. And when you buy electronics, never, ever buy that extended warranty. It's a complete ripoff. We got an email from Len in Woodbridge. Dear Tech Talk, sometimes I log into Facebook at a friend's house, and then I forget to log out. Is there a way to log out remotely after I'm at home? I don't want somebody, like, posting stuff to my account. Thanks, Len in Woodbridge. Well, it is easy to forget to sign out of Facebook every time you move on to something different. And it's extremely important to log out because if if you leave, say, logged in, somebody could log into that computer and they could do whatever they want with your account because they would be logged into your account. You can remotely turn off a Facebook session. Now, if you want to do it from a computer, you simply log into your Facebook account on the computer. Then you click on the little gear-shaped icon located in the upper right-hand corner. Then you click on Settings. Then you click on security and login, and you and then you'll see and then you'll see a section called where you're logged in, and you'll see a list of devices you're currently logged on. It'll be the device you're on now plus everything else. You can click on each one of those devices, and then you can log out of each of the device individually, and then there you're off. And so you can you can completely control who's logged into your Facebook account. Now, if you're on the, um, you can also do that from your mobile device. Simply open up to open up the Facebook app. Tap on the menu button, and uh, which looks like three horizontal dots. You then scroll down to settings and privacy link. Tap on settings. Again, tap on security and login. Scroll down to it says where you're logged in. Again, you'll see a list of devices. Just click on each one of the devices, and then you can tap log out of that device. And you are good to go. That was a good question. We got an email yeah. from David in Kansas. Dear Doc and Jim, I have quite a few old smartphones and tablets in the house. I'd like to find a use for them. Is there any way that I can use them as a wireless security cam? Well, that's a that's an interesting yeah. idea. That, that's a great idea, David. Well, you are in luck. There's a simple app that you can download, and you can turn them into a wireless security cam. It's called it's called Epic Cam, E P O C Cam, and it's a fantastic free app. And you just download it, and it, it will turn your iPad or your iPhone into a streaming video that that you can connect to any web browser. It's available for both the Android and the iPhone. The app's easy to install and set up. Simply download it, install, run the app that matches your device. Then you place the camera uh, facing where you want it to look. You'll need to enter in the Wi-Fi connection password, and you want to jot down the IP address that the app gives you for monitoring it. Write that app, write that IP address down. Then when you go to any web browser, you simply type in that IP address and boom, you will see exactly what that iPhone or iPad is seeing in your house. And you can check it out. It's really a good application for some of these old devices. I've also seen some people 
use uh, old iPads for one of these digital picture frames. You can download a digital picture frame app, and you can download pictures to the iPad, and it will, like, scroll through the pictures. So that's a nice feature. What It would be nice if the app would let you upload new pictures, you know, over the web so you could you could update it, but you have to actually put them on the device itself. We got an email from Alice in Fairfax. Dear Tech Talk, I've listened to your discussions about two-factor authentication. Wow, Alice is really on top of that. Uh-huh. And I'm using it for my Facebook account and my bank account. Excellent. Excellent, Alice. Of course, two-factor authentication is you you have the password of the account, so you log in using your password, and then the website sends a text message to your mobile phone or to an e- or to another email account, and then within that text message, your email is typically a six-digit number, and then you have to take that six-digit number and type that into the that's and type that into the website. And so you've proven then that's your second authentication. That's why it's called two-factor authentication, and and it's it's uh, more secure because if somebody steals your password but they don't have your cell phone, they can't log on. The problem that I'm getting uh, this I'm going back to Alice's letter now after that uh-huh. small aside. The problem <laughs> is I'm getting to ready ready to buy a new phone in a few days, and I'm afraid after with my new phone this two-factor authentication is not going to work. Um, Alice in Fairfax, well. Alice, you don't really need to worry about getting locked out of your accounts. Two-factor authentication is tied, ties the security of your account to your phone number, not to the phone itself. Therefore, if you're simply switching to a new phone it's not, and keeping the same phone number, it's not going to affect your ability to log on at all. However, if you're going to get a new phone, say, with a new carrier, and you're not porting your number over and you get a new phone number— uh, that will be a problem because it's, you know, the, the, the second factor authentication is going to go to the, your old phone number. So if you're going to get a new phone number, what you want to do is before you get the new phone number, you disable two-factor authentication on all your accounts. And then after you get the new phone number, you re-enable it with the new phone number. Um, if you don't disable it before you get the new phone number, you're going to have a problem. We got an email from Arnie in Colorado Springs. Hi, Dr. Schertz. I recently noticed that the address line on my iPad, when I look at a site, says not secure. Very lightly to, to, to the left of the address. Like He said, I went to dslreports.com, and it was not secure. That's to the left. He went to espn.com, and it also said not secure. It, the not secure part is kind of in a dim strip. Dimmed, um, it's in dim script just to the left of the address. What, what does that actually mean? Does this mean that I'm a, a vulnerable to attack? No. Arnie, all that means is you are not using secure socket layer. There, You can either go in, communicate to a website using um, unencrypted data. That would be HTTP. Um, and it just and people can intercept your data to and from the website. So usually if you're going to be putting in passwords and other things, you'd rather have an encrypted connection between you and the website. And the encrypted connection between you and the website is called Secure Socket Layer, SSL, and, and that's indicated in the, uh, in the web addresses, HTTPS, colon. Now, I went to DS, and most websites support both, by the way. So if you log on to DSLReports.com and you put an HTTP, colon, slash, slash, DSLReports.com, it's going to say not secure. 
But if you put HTTPS in front of the in front of the web address and go to DSLreports.com, it will enable secure socket layer, and you won't get that not secure. So DSL report supports both encrypted and unencrypted data streams. Now, what's interesting, and I was, I was surprised when I went to ESPN.com, it didn't support HTTPS. So ESPN.com did not support secure socket layer, and I was I was a little surprised at that. Most most websites do support both. We got an email from Tom Shum. Dear Tech Talk, I listened to your discussion about adjustable eyeglasses last week, and the site you referenced is dormant. Now you can actually buy adjustable glasses for $88.95. This is using the same technology that this guy invented. You simply go to micromark.com and search for eyejusters, E-Y-E-J-U-S-T-E-R-S. Now, they have an adjustable strength from 0.5 to 4.0 diopters, which, you know, which, which is a wide range of magnification. And you can simply turn the hidden eye dial to change the magnification instantly. Uh, so that actually is, is still available, but they're no longer be giving them away for free. You buy them. But I agree they do look a little bit nerdy. What do you think of those, Jim? Beyond, See that picture? We talked about this last week. Yeah. They're awful. Now, so they go from 0.5 to 4.0 diopter. Diopter is sort of an indication of how much magnification you have. You know what a diopter is, Jim? Um, no. It's one over the focal length in meters. Really? Yeah. So, so say a, so say 2.5 diopters would be a 40 centimeter focal length. It's one over 0.4. Do okay. Let me ask you this: Do you think people's do people have issues with their eyes where their 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 prescription literally changes and fluctuates? No, what where where you where you might have it is that suppose you were doing uh, some close in work on say uh, repairing a watch, and so, then and then and you and you hold it very close to the eye, and then and then you're doing something else where you're holding it further away. Oh, I see. So you may need a different diopter if you're doing different types of tasks. Magnification. Magnification. So if, these would not necessarily be something you'd wear out in public. These are these would be really good for if you're working at home on a project. If you're working at home on a project, oh. and, and and so instead of having bifocals, you know, instead of having bifocals, you can just flip between two two different magnifications. See, I can't I can't do bifocals. I I would not like a bifocal. So you don't have a need for them. I no, uh uh-uh. uh. I do. But I've tried to use them. I tried to use the, uh, the the lineless ones. It's enough to make my head explode. I can't do it. Now, see, what they need are these adjustable glasses that connect to your cell phone. So you could just punch a button and you could just adjust them remotely without having to tinker with that little that, screw on the That's a great idea. It's okay, so so knowing now what these glasses are intended for, this is really not a bad idea. It's, it's not a bad Especially idea. Especially if you're a craftsman or you work on things like watches or have some close-up work like that. It's a good idea. That's right. That's right. Not Who cares too bad. what you look like? And they're, they're only $88. It's not bad. But the key to remember— a diopter is one over the focal length in meters. Okay. You know, you go to a cocktail party, you are just – people are going to gravitate. the room. They're, no, they're, they're going to gravitate and say, look at this guy. He knows all yeah. about diopters. I'm telling you, <laughs> you're clearing the room. <laughs> Let's go to Clyde's afterwards and test it out. Okay. Go to the bar at Clyde's we'll, right we'll, across the I'll, way. I'll, I'll, I'll go in there and sit, 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 talk about and diopters at the bar. like eight or so bar stools down. Well, and just watch well the I'll, I'll get one of the glass, uh, you know, the glass beer steins, and we'll see how many. <laughs> we'll see how many diopters that the, the lenses at the bottom of that uh, of that beer stein. Now that beer may goggles. that may be uh, that may attract some attention 
for a while. Uh, yes, <laughs> not the good kind. Not the good kind. Uh, we got an email from Andy in Indianapolis. Dear Tech Talk, my boyfriend and I have a bet that's riding on the answer to this question. Uh-oh. Is a six-digit PIN number really all that more secure than a four-digit PIN Ooh. number? It doesn't seem like those two digits would make that much difference. He says it makes a big difference and makes the phone much harder to break into. So who's right? I'm guessing I'm guessing six digits. Six digits, yeah. Six-digit PIN is more than slightly secure, more secure than a four-digit PIN. It's a lot more secure. It's exponential, right? Yeah. When you so, add more digits. That's right. In fact, it's a fact. It turns out four digits have 10,000 combinations, and that, that would be yeah. 10 to the fourth power because uh-huh. you've got four digits. Each digit can be one through zero through nine. And what's the diopter on that? So that uh, there's no diopter on that one. <laughs> <laughs> so so a four-digit pin has 10,000 combinations. So somebody's going to try to get into your phone and have to go through it 10, you know, 10,000 times. And, but that would take them a while. But if you've got six digits— it's 10 to the 6th power, and that's a million possibilities. So there's a big difference between a million combinations and uh, 10,000. Yeah. So a six-digit pin is much, much better. And that's why, you know, Apple, uh, you know, that's why all the iPhone manufacturers, the Android phones are trying to push people to six-digit pins. And people can remember six digits. I sure. mean, if, if it were like a 14-digit pin, people, really could, people couldn't remember it. Like Pi. You so, use Pi as your as your passcode. Oh, you use Pi as the passcode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that's gonna, yeah, uh, yeah. That's, <laughs> that might work for you. It, it 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 might work. How many digits can you remember in Pi? I don't know. I three point one four one five nine. That's those are the. That's as much as and I that's know. That's more than six. So you could use yeah. that as your passcode. Yeah, three point one four one five nine. Because that is when I, when I'm doing calculations, those are enough digits to make the calculations accurate enough. So I just always know that it's actually musical. Three point one four one five nine. But after one five nine, you know, it, it, it sort of fades out a little bit. We <laughs> love your emails. Email us at techtalk@stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard on. Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2. You can watch us do the program by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. 
If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Ronald Gerald Wayne. He was a co-founder of Apple Computers along with Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs. But he got cold feet soon after Apple was set up, and he sold his 10% stake for $2,300. He's viewed as the unluckiest man in technology. Now, Ronald Gerard, Gerard Wayne was born May 17, 1934, in Cleveland, Ohio. He trained as a technical draftsman at the School of Industrial Arts in New York. In 1956, he moved to California. In 1971, he decided to start a company, so he started a, a slot machine sales business. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he actually modified slot machines. He had he had 12 patents relating to slot really? machines. So, uh, but he was, he was not a good businessman. The, the company failed. As you're about to find out. And he realized that he was a better engineer than a businessman, so he decided just to go back to engineering. In 1976... Ronald Wayne built the internal corporate documentation systems at Atari. You know, and this is at that time Atari was only three years old, and that's where actually two two other guys worked at Atari with him, and their names were Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. How about that? They were both at Atari. Now, so Jobs and Wozniak they were always talking about the future of computers and how computers are going to change everyone's life and they had these big debates. And so uh, you know Ron Ron would sit and sit around and talk with them about it. So one night he invited them over to his house and he said, "Well, let's just talk about this." And they sat around drinking beer talking about the futures of computers. And at that time sitting in Ron's house, Steve Jobs proposed founding a computer company. And it would be led by Wozniak and Jobs, and uh, but then Wayne would be the business manager, and which and they, he wasn't very good at. No, but but it, but listen, Steve. But they really were impressed because he had actually started a company. Ah, and they hadn't. They had never started a company, and and he was actually an old guy. He was forty-one. Oh wow! And they were twenty-two and uh, and twenty-three. No, okay, there you go. And so and so, what they what what Jobs proposed? He says, "Look, will uh, Steve uh, Steve Jobs will get forty-five percent, and Wozniak could get forty-five percent, and then Wayne uh, Ron went Ron Wayne would get the would get ten percent." And they said, "Look, when there's a disagreement between the two Steves, then uh, you know Ron Wayne could break the tie. That, that's what they were thinking. Uh -huh. So Ron Wayne, since he was the a super uh, you know super businessman, he wrote the partnership agreement mm -hmm. for the original Apple. He wrote it. He they, you know they didn't have money for a lawyer, so he was the lawyer. And then the three of them. <laughs> but he wasn't a lawyer, was he? No, <laughs> he wasn't a lawyer, but he, but he wrote the partnership agreement. So." April 1st, 1976, they founded Apple Computer. I mean, it's funny. It's on, on April Fool's Day is when they actually founded mm -hmm. it. And um, then Jobs, uh, Steve Jobs, secured a $15,000 line of credit to buy products and materials to, you know, fulfill their first order by the Byte Shop, which, which had ordered, you know, quite a few of these computers. And they had, they had to borrow money for the parts to build the computers. Now, the problem is the Byte Shop 
had a reputation of really being of slow rolling their vendors. So they weren't actually sure when they would get their money after they delivered the computers. <laughs> um, this bothered Ron Wayne. Now, but he he worked with them on it, and he actually uh, designed the first Apple logo. He was, in addition to being a um, a, a lawyer, not <laughs> lawyer, not businessman, not. not. <laughs> he he was also a graphic artist, so he designed the first Apple logo, and he wrote the first Apple One manual. So he was actually actively engaged in 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 the launch of the technology. We talked about this. What was the first logo? Do you remember? No, I can't remember. All right, I'll look it up. You check that out. Okay. okay. Now here's the deal. When that when Steve Jobs got the line of credit of $15,000, all three were personally liable. So if they were unable to pay back the $15,000, uh, the banks would come after the three of them. Well, this was a problem. Ron Wayne actually had a house and he had assets. It turned out that Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak had nothing. So Ron Wayne said, wait a minute here. If, if we can't pay back that $15,000 loan, I'm going to get stuck paying it all back because you guys have got nothing. Mm -hmm. He said, I've already been in one failed business. I, I'm, I'm a little worried about that. So he was worried about the risk of the venture. And since only his assets were really going to be, you know, eaten up if they failed. Now, he said he felt Apple would have ultimately be successful, but he still would be bumps along the way. And they, the banks may come after us. He said he could simply just not risk it since he had already failed in one business. So on April 12, 1976, remember the company was started April 1, 1976. So on April 12, 1976, he made the fateful decision to sell his 10% of the stock back for $800. <laughs> now, a year later, Wayne got an additional $1,500 to forfeit any additional claims, because I think the two Steves thought, well, maybe it would look like we cheated him. So in order to sign an additional agreement that he would not have any additional claims on Apple, they gave him an additional $1,500 a year later. You see, when they actually, when they actually bought it, they, they, didn't, they didn't have $2,300. You know, probably $800 is all they had to buy him out. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so he received a total of $2,300 for his 10%. Now, by August of 2011, Apple had a market cap of 35 of had a he had, had, a, had a market cap of 350 billion. So his stake would have been 35 billion. You know, uh, by uh, you know 2011. By I just looked up the market cap. Uh, you know, you know this morning, and the market cap now is around 900 billion, mm. and his share would have been 90 billion. Oh my gosh. Now, the market cap a year ago was about a, a trillion, but it's gone down $100 billion in the last year because iPhone X not selling. Mm -hmm. Now, Wayne says he doesn't regret selling the stock and that he believes he made the, the best decision with the information available to him at the time. I don't, don't believe it. When, he says, well, I don't regret that I sold the stock. I, I, I don't buy that at all. Now, Wayne resisted Jobs' attempts to get him to return – and uh, Ron Wayne stayed at Atari until 1978. Then he joined Lawrence Livermore Labs and later an electronics company in Salinas, uh, California. Now, he went on to run a stamp shop 
in Milpitas, Mil, Milpitas, California. What is that? Milpitas, California? I don't I think, think you're right. Milpitas, Mil- California. Milpitas or something. Milpitas, California mm-hmm. in the late 70s. But he had a number of break-ins and into a stamp shop. So finally, he decided to just move the whole operation to Nevada. Now, he's now retired and living a quiet lifestyle in Pahrumpf, Nevada. He lives in a mobile home selling stamps and rare corns. I mean, Pahrumpf, I mean, Pahrumpf Nevada, that's it's, that's like a bedroom the, community of Las Vegas. It's in the desert, and it's on the border of Area 51. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. It's desolate out it there. It is desolate, uh, and uh, it's and it's it's mobile homes is what it is. Yeah, it's desolate. It's it's like a bedroom community for Las Vegas. People who can't afford to live in the city, they live out there in trailers. Mm-hmm. It is desolate. I've been out there. I, I wanted to go out and see what— Were you looking for a vacation land or something? No, I, I, just, I was just <laughs> curious about this Area 51. It's, Were you really? Okay, but this is the deal. Let me tell you, it is not worth— driving out to well there's nothing to see but there's, chain link fence right there's nothing to see there's nothing to did see did you try to scale the fence no i didn't but if i would have my drone with me i may have tried droning it oh i'd never have seen you again <laughs> the show would have ended some time ago now he holds a dozen patents mostly related to slot machines mm-hmm. he's never owned an apple pro he never bought an app he didn't own an apple product wow. until 2011 and he, and he didn't buy that Apple product. It was given to him. He was given an iPad, too. <laughs> now, Wayne published a couple of books. He published this first book was Adventures of an Apple Founder. Mm-hmm. He published that in July of 2011. And then he, and then he uh, uh, published another book in October of 2011 called The Insolence of Office, a socioeconomic treatise. I don't know. I, I think he must be – I think he must – Bitter? I yeah, I think he's bitter. I think bitter. he's bitter. I think he's bitter. Now, what's interesting, uh, Wayne told Steve Jobs that he was gay in February of 1974, while both men were employees at Atari. And Steve Jobs, in his in in his in his autobiography, he said that that actually Wayne was the first gay person he ever knew. Hmm. So it it sort of like was a momentous event for Steve Jobs as he thought back over his life. Now Wayne actually doesn't have much many good things to say about Steve Jobs. He said he was colder than an ice cube and ruthless at times. Well, so we know that, that. So there you go. Everything you want to know about Ronald Gerard Wayne. So I found the first logo and okay. I sent it to your Gmail if you're logged okay. in over there. Yeah. It's called the Newton Crest and it and it it, it existed from 1976 until 1976. It wasn't around for long. It is this highly uh, stylized, it almost looks like something you'd see carved in wood, of Isaac Newton sitting under an apple tree with an apple dangling over his head. And uh, then after that, they went to the uh, the apple with the bite out of it, and the first one had the low, the uh, the rainbow uh, motif on it. Yeah. So, so that's that was. Uh, you can see why that logo, if you've got it up there on your phone. Oh, it is ugly. It's why that it it's, is it's ugly. too complicated. I mean, it's 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 well done. It's just too complicated. I, you know. Yeah, it's, it's Newton sitting under an apple tree, and they've got this sort of banner wrapped around yes. it. Yes. And it and looks like it's carved out of wood. Boy, that exactly, is exactly right. Looks like it's from the 16th century. It doesn't look very high tech at all. Does it exactly? No, it doesn't. It Did, does not. Didn't you? Didn't at one point we talked about the, the where the name Apple came from, and there was some speculation that the bite out of the apple was a nod to uh, uh, Alan Turing. Yeah, that's what they. That's what people like to think. The conspiracy I, theory. You don't, the you're conspira- not buying that, right? No, not really. There you go. Not really. All right, there, there you we go. go. Everything you want to know about Ron Wayne.
And uh, I hope you're paying attention because something out of that will be turned into a question and you could win free lunch coming up when we play the pop quiz here on Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2 and 103.9 FM HD2. Watch us do the show by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell. The security guard at the front desk, featuring Mr. Big Voice, with musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band, and your host, Jim Russ. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to Tech Talk Radio this Saturday morning. It is graduation day at Stratford University, and that means the doc is out, and you are stuck with the substitute teacher for the pop quiz. Profiles in IT, we just featured Ronald Gerald Wayne, the unluckiest man in technology who co-founded Apple Computer with Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. Things didn't exactly work out between those three, and Ronald Gerald Wayne in 1976 wound up selling his shares in Apple Computer for 2300 bucks. That's right, 2300 bucks. If he'd held on to it, it would be worth $35 billion today. Well, things haven't gotten any better for Ronald Gerald Wayne. Today's pop quiz question, where does Ronald Gerald Wayne now live? Wow, Jim, you really know how to kick a guy when he's down. But if you know the answer to the pop quiz, now's your chance to turn it into free food by picking up the phone and giving us a call. If you're dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're waiting for your diploma to arrive in the mail in Canada, call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. Calling internationally, well, call us on the international line, 877-9-3639-333. Andrew Mitchell, our adjunct professor for prize distribution and crowd control, standing by to take your calls. So, 
Dial now. One of the best ways to get into a company's network is to trick people to giving you their password. And they call that phishing, mm-hmm. P-H-I-S-I-N-G, and you trick them to doing things. And um, Barracuda Networks analyzed 360,000 phishing emails over a three-month period to see what they had in common. And here are the top 12 um, subject lines in these phishing emails. Number one, request. Number two, follow-up. Then urgent, important. Are you available? Are you at your desk? Payment status. Hello. Purchase. Invoice date. Direct deposit, expenses, and payroll. So they found out that they tended to get more responses when people thought it was something urgent relating to work, and it might affect money. And so all of these things had to do that. So to avoid your employees getting falling victim to phishing attacks, you really should set up the DMARC authentication. That's domain-based message authentication and reporting conformance. This avoids domain name spoofing, so they can't pretend like there's somebody within the company sending it to you. Then you want to, uh, on all of your accounts, deploy, you know, multi-factor authentication. That means you put in a password, and then you get an email, you, gotta, you get another code. That would be two-factor authentication. That gives an extra layer of protection. And finally, you need to train your employees so they won't click on that clickbait and fall for the phishing trick. Mm-hmm. Continue along, please. Okay, facial recognition is being used to track down criminals, and it is working on Saturday, um, uh, in November 2017, a woman walked into Wilco Farm Store in Oregon, and she picked up a pair of $130,000—I mean, $130—Georgia <laughs> <laughs> boots, and she just popped those them. Those are good boots. Yeah, those are good boots. And she, well, she and she just she had a big purse. She just stuck them in her purse and walked out. But 24 hours later, she turned herself into the Washington County Jail. And why did that happen? Why did that happen, Doc? Because they were using Amazon's recognition software. That's facial recognition software. And what the county sheriff, what they had done, they loaded up all the mugshots from anybody that had ever been in the county jail. So and then she'd been in the county jail. She's apparently, she'd apparently been to the county jail. She, they, she had a mugshot down Recidivist. there. Recidivist. And so then what, what happened was after they loaded in all the pictures that were in their files, they just – Took the picture from the uh, from from the webcam in the store, and they uploaded it to the Amazon recognition software, and it just went through all of those things, and it pulled out two, two or three suspects. They identified her quickly. In the old days, they would have to go through books of pictures. It might take them days to figure out who was going to do it. Mm-hmm. The nice thing about this recognition software, you can't trick it by changing hairstyle or putting on glasses because it. It maps the distances between different points on the face, and so it's you, you know disguises don't really work that well. Now, recogni- that Amazon uh, introduced recognition software in in, uh, in 2016, and they analyze features of the face and they map the distances, and it's really been an effective technology. And this is being used by more and more police departments to create their own image recognition database, and it works really well. Tesla has an autopilot steering problem. Now, new dash cam videos showing the Tesla Model 3 with the autopilot switched on veering toward a highway divider. Now, the video recorded uh, this just last weekend was shared on Reddit. Shows the Tesla's semi-autonomous autopilot mode correctly avoiding 
the divider several times before on the final run it steered into the divider. Apparently, when a when a two-lane road goes into a four-lane road, sometimes the Tesla thinks the 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 the, the barrier or the, the grassy area in the middle is actually another lane. Oh no, that's a problem. And it, and it directs people directly into the wow. barrier. And so He's been actually watching this, and he's been reporting it back to Tesla, and and so they'll do an update, and then it behaves differently. Mm-hmm. Now, why this is significant? There were two crashes where people were killed; Jeez, they ran directly it. into a barrier oh. because they believed that it was really autopilot. And the problem is that every time Tesla does a software update. It behaves differently in different mm-hmm. areas, so you can't just because it's worked a hundred times in the past doesn't mean it will continue working as they keep doing the updates. So, uh, I mean, one reason that Tesla has these issues they don't have lidar, they don't have laser radar. Almost all the other, um, you know, self-driving cars have uh, have lidar, laser radars, and so they get range data. And the Tesla only has passive sensors, no active sensors, and it, and it makes the uh, it makes the detection problem more difficult. Let's go back on memory lane. Exactly. Ten years ago, we talked about adjustable glasses. Okay, in March 23rd, 1985, Joss Silver, a professor of physics, that's why I like this guy, if, yeah, at Oxford University, thing. wondered whether you might be able to make a, a pair of glasses that could be adjusted without the need for specialized equipment or even an optometrist. Like adjusting your, your prescription. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If that were possible, he thought that to make glasses that were self-adjustable, that they would, and they allow the wearer to adjust it till they looked right, that would be affordable, and it could bring glasses to millions of people who otherwise could not afford them. So he embarked on his quest to offer glasses to a billion people in the world's poorest countries by 2020. That was his goal. Already, 30,000 pairs of glasses that are self-adjustable have been distributed to 1,500 countries. When I say already 30,000 pairs, that was 10 years ago, of course, Mm -hmm. because we are walking down memory lane. Okay, and we're walking down memory lane because you had three glasses of wine and you (laughs) ran out of stuff to talk about? (laughs) No, I just, you know, I was just remembering just all the good times, Jim. All the good times. (laughs) Now... Silver devised a pair of glasses that rely on the principle that the fatter the lens, the more powerful the lens it becomes. Mm-hmm. So what he did, he made plastic lenses that were two clears, that were two sacks that were filled with a clear fluid. And each of the sacks was connected to a small syringe, which, which was attached to either side of the spectacles. So the adjuster could simply dial on the syringe to add or reduce the amount of fluid inside of the lenses. And it could change the power of the lenses automatically. So what they would do, they would just give everybody get the same kind of glasses. They would put them on, and they would do the adjustment until they had exactly the right, you know, diopter that they needed for their eyes. Mm-hmm. And then once it was set, they would simply screw a small screw and then seal it, seal the syringe, and then the syringe would be removed. So it was such a simple idea that they found that people with very little guidance were able to perform their, you know, adjust their glasses, their own prescription. It was a good idea. So I went so back. So what happened? Well, I don't know. I went to the website. The website is adaptive-icare.com. Adaptive-icare.com. I, I went out there, and it, and it still came up. And he said he's still working on this 
distribution of glasses well, to the world. But uh, but it, to me, it looks like the website is inactive. But there there is an email address there. So if you're interested in pursuing this or helping him out, you can go to adaptive-icare.com <laughs> okay. and you can email him and see what's going to happen I there. I am now on that website. There's very little activity. There's very little activity, but I can tell you within – Two seconds. Why this isn't going to work? These are the dumbest looking glasses <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. They look like Ollie glasses times a thousand, right? <laughs> yeah. They're huge. They are huge. They're huge. These are not exactly fashion frames. No, I think I, I think you're right. But they're self-adjustable. So what? They look like <laughs> hell. They really look awful. I know. I know. Okay. Well, thanks for that stroll down. Okay. Lane. Now I have another stroll. I got another stroll down memory lane <laughs> okay. here. We answered the vexing question ten years ago. <laughs> why? Why do we have fingerprints, Doc? Why do we have fingerprints? <laughs> have you ever gotten up and wondered that why in the world do we have fingerprints? And I mean, uh, you know, it's not for identification, I not think, for fingerprint ID. Honestly, I think there would have 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 been, had have to have had some uh, substances uh, taken in order to think. Well, well, some researchers have- uh, 10 years ago at John Hopkins University found a purpose for, uh, for uh, you know, fingerprints. They help you feel things more accurately. Uh, it turns out that when you run your fingers with the grooves on your fingers over a, a particular thing with texture, you feel vibrations. And the fingerprints allow the surface to transmit vibrations to you, and it gives you... And it gives you a more sensitive touch. Now, you you don't want it so it only rubs in one direction. So you want to be able to rub in any direction to feel a vibration. So uh-huh. that's why the fingerprints are are circular. So that no matter which direction you go, you'll get the vibrations. Okay, so here's a question. There are people that have tried to take their fingerprints off so they're not detectable because of their, they're the criminal element. Yeah. I wonder how this affects their ability to... Um, to, to, f- to feel things. They're, they're, they're going to lose the good vibrations. <laughs> And there we go. So there's why we have swirls in our fingerprints. And another walk down memory lane. That's it for this week. Tune in next week for more Tech Talk Radio. Heard every Saturday at 9 on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, and 1039 FM HD2. And on the web at federalnewsnetwork.com. Learn more about the programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. Tech Talk Radio is a presentation of Stratford University and Dr. Richard Schertz. Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.